Uh, we're going to go into scripture reading. Today, uh, I have a special treat. I won't be preaching. I'll be one of our elders. We are an elder-led church, and we really believe elders are not just part of this boring board members that make decisions, but we really want our elders to be pastoral in every way. All, all of our elders lead a community group. All of our elders preach twice or maybe even three times a year just to be part of uh, this teaching team. It's great, uh, not just for the elders, but for me. I get a break. I get to hang out with my family. The weekend was awesome. Um, so maybe, maybe more elders preaching will be great. Uh, Matthew 5, we're going to continue with our series in Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, we're going to go verse 17 to verse 20. Let me read for us. This is the word of God. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is word of God. Thanks be to God. All right. Thank you, Pastor Sangmin. We are continuing our series today on Jesus' teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. One of the key words from our passage today is the word fulfill. Are you feeling fulfilled today? Isn't that word a powerfully elusive word? Perhaps it's a painful word for some of us. Without too much shame, one of the online streaming shows that my wife and I like to watch together is a dating show called I Am Solo. There has been an episode every week since July 2021, and each batch is about, of about six to eight episodes follows what happens to 12 singles, six men and six women, who spend about five days together in close quarters in a hyper-focused dating experience. One characteristic of the show is that the contestants and the presentation is very authentic. And uh, people who can be your colleagues or classmates come on the show. Most of the contestants really seem to want to be looking to get married. And at the beginning of each new batch of contestants, you can see from their facial expressions and their expectations and hopes that perhaps on this show, they're going to meet their other half. And unfortunately, and not surprisingly, most of the contestants leave the show feeling unfulfilled. There were some couples that we liked uh, that, that were a match and thought had a chance of, of uh, making it further, but my wife, Yuna, reads up on them uh, afterwards, and uh, most of the times we find out it didn't work out after the taping. Uh, but I understand there have been some marriages that have come from it as well. The people of God listening to Jesus give this sermon were also a people who were feeling very unfulfilled. As you may know, And to give the historical context, the Israelites were God's people of promise. In Genesis chapter 28, God had said to Abraham, I'm sorry, that's so small. Okay, that's Genesis 28, 14. uh, In you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. They had had great heroes 
and prosperous periods in their history. Moses, who rose up during a time of oppression, brought the plagues upon Egypt, split the Red Sea to deliver them from their oppressors. The hero David, who as a young boy killed Goliath of their enemy, the Philistines, and went on to become their king, win many battles and establish a strong and prosperous kingdom. But during the reign of King Rehoboam, David's grandson, bad things started to happen. Israel was split in two. They started fighting each other and the nations around them. Eventually, they lose the northern kingdom to the a kingdom Israel to the Assyrians and the southern kingdom Judah to the Babylonians. And most of them get taken into exile. They are able to return to their historical land under the Persian ruler Cyrus and even rebuild the temple that had previously been destroyed. But it's nothing like the splendor of the previous temple under Solomon. By now, hundreds of years have passed and they find themselves under yet another foreign power, Rome. What had happened to the promises of their God? There was a group of people at the time referenced in verse 20 of today's passage as the scribes and the Pharisees who believed that the Israelites were under punishment for disobedience to the Old Testament commands. If the Israelites would do better at keeping the commands, they would be able to regain their former glory. So the scribes and the Pharisees took meticulous care to observe all of the laws, and they were, they were actually so good at this that there was a saying at the time that if only two people went to heaven, it would be a scribe and a Pharisee. The teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees would have centered around how the people could better fulfill the laws and focus on their outward actions. And isn't this how many people see religion and Christianity even today? Do this, don't do that. A set of rules and regulations to live by. Even after becoming a Christian, it's easy to get into this kind of thinking. I did something wrong today. God must be unhappy with me. He's about to punish me. Oh, I did something good today. God should reward me. But that was not the message of Jesus in this sermon. Jesus was very different from the scribes and the Pharisees. He had a different air of authority. He was healing people, casting out demons, and performing miracles. His teaching was unlike any other teaching that they had heard before. So everyone was curious Jesus, who are you? What are you here to do? Do you plan to replace the Old Testament? And these are actually some of the same questions that we might ask. Jesus, who are you? What do you mean for my life? Jesus, there are parts of the Bible that I don't understand or are difficult to read, especially in the Old Testament. Should I ignore the Old Testament, just read the New Testament? Jesus addresses these questions in our passage. Verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The law and the prophets was a common way to refer to all of the Hebrew Bible that we call the Old Testament. Jesus says that he's come to do the opposite of abolishing them. He's come to fulfill them. He goes on to say in verse 18, that everything written in the Old Testament, even down to the smallest punctuation mark, will be accomplished. In verse 19, he says that the instructions of the Old Testament are to be followed. So up to verse 19, perhaps the people are thinking, 
This teaching sounds a lot like the moral, legalistic teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. But then he says something unexpected and crazy in verse 20. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This would have confused everyone listening. Remember, if only two people get into heaven, it's a scribe and a Pharisee. If their righteousness is not good enough, who then can go to heaven? After saying this, Jesus has lost everybody. There's no way that they can fully understand what he's saying at the time. Thankfully, with the benefit of hindsight, we now have a better idea. It is through Jesus' fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures that our righteousness can exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And to the extent that we can really understand this and receive it, I believe this can change our lives. The Old Testament had a number of unresolved plot lines and mysteries. We looked at one earlier in Genesis 28. All the families of the earth will be blessed to Abraham's offspring. This was unresolved at the time of this sermon. Jesus declares, I fulfill all those unresolved plot lines and mysteries, and in at least two ways. Yeah, Jesus is the hero Messiah of the Old Testament scriptures. And two, Jesus fulfills the law. But the law has an unexpected definition, which we'll get to later on. The first, Jesus as the Messiah of the Old Testament. We know that the Israelites living under Roman rule were waiting for a hero Messiah at this time. Uh, we hear this uh, during many Christmases. The Magi come to King Herod looking for the Jews in Matthew 2. And Herod summons the Jewish chief priests and the teachers of the law to ask them. And they tell, and they tell Herod, based on a passage in the Old Testament book of Micah, chapter 5, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The passage is on the screen. Bethlehem, from you, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. As written in Isaiah, this Messiah was going to bring good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, proclaim the day of vengeance. Vengeance. This is a passage that we see Jesus reading in Luke 4 as he begins his ministry and he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This Messiah was the one that the Israelites were eagerly waiting for. This was their view of Mr. Wright, who would fulfill all their longings. A ruler who was going to bring them good news, free them from oppressive foreign rule, and proclaim vengeance. But then there were other passages of the Old Testament that were more of a mystery. As one example, Zechariah 9 says that a king is coming and riding on a donkey. Why is a king riding on a donkey and not a noble stallion? There were other references to a suffering servant, a man of sorrows who was despised and rejected and acquainted with grief, someone who will be pierced for our transgressions and bear our griefs, the one on whom our iniquity would be laid. A ruler and a liberating king, but riding a donkey and sorrowful and suffering? Jesus says, all these passages point to me. We now know that Jesus will enter Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. 
and also how he fulfilled the passages, the passage in Isaiah 53 on the cross. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Have you ever watched a movie or a show where you get to the end, find out the ending, and then when you watch it again, everything seems so obvious, like, you know, like a big surprise ending, and then you watch it again, the clues were there all along. Um, I'm dating myself, but a movie like um, The Usual Suspects, Kaiser Soze, or more recently, The Squid Games. Not necessarily an endorsement to watch it, though. But anyway, rewatching a movie or a show like these, that's a bit like reading the Old Testament, knowing that Jesus is coming. It's exciting, and we can appreciate Jesus even more because it tells a story of how lost humanity is without him, how much we needed him, and how everything points to him. As Moses led the Israelites out from the oppression of the Egyptians, Jesus goes to the cross to lead us out of the oppression of our sin and death. As bulls and goats were sacrificed to atone for sins, Jesus is the ultimate sin offering to cleanse us of our sins. Jesus is our high priest, interceding on our behalf before the Father. Jesus is our ultimate kinsman redeemer, as we recently studied in the book of Ruth. Jesus is the judge who rescues us from our enemies, as Deborah and Gideon did. He is the Jonah who was thrown into the storm to calm the sea of God's wrath against sin. He is the mysterious fourth figure in the blazing furnace protecting Daniel and his friends. One quick side note application point here is that we can have confidence in reading the Old Testament. The Old Testament that we have is the one that Jesus himself studied and quoted. And discoveries like the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were written before Jesus' birth, show that the Old Testament has been passed down with remarkable accuracy. Jesus knew the Old Testament inside and out. He continually quoted it, and it's been estimated that over 10% of Jesus' New Testament words were taken from the Old Testament. The Old Testament has Jesus' stamp of approval, and so we can read it with confidence and see how it all points to him. Going back to our topic, we have covered how Jesus is the Messiah prophesied about in the Law and the Prophets. The second way that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament is that Jesus fulfills the Law. And the Law has an unexpected definition. The Old Testament describes a holy and righteous God who gives the Law to Moses for the Israelites to follow. But they utterly fail to keep these laws. Even their heroes had serious failings. Abraham lied multiple times that his wife was was his sister out of fear. Jacob lied to steal his brother Esau's blessing. Moses had an anger problem. Both Moses and David were murderers. David was also an adulterer. These are the biblical heroes. King after king was led astray by foreign women and gods. But there were some people who still believed that they were doing pretty good at keeping the moral laws. There are people like this even today. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm living a pretty good life. God should be pretty happy with me. I'm a good person. But remember verse 20. Your righteousness exceeding that of the scribes and the Pharisees. They were some of the most moral people around. Jesus teaches in the verses following this passage that fulfilling the law is 
not simply about external actions, which the scribes and the Pharisees focused on. There's actually a deeper requirement. For example, you have broken the commandment on do not murder when you hate, even if you don't physically murder them. You have broken the commandment do not commit adultery when you choose to indulge in lustful thoughts, even if that does not lead to any actions. Jesus had harsh words for those who are just going through the motions and keeping the externals pretty, but were rotten in their hearts. He called them whitewashed tombs, clean on the outside, dead and rotting on the inside. So what was this deeper requirement that the teachers of the law were missing in practice? Jesus tells us in Matthew 22. A lawyer asks him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus responds, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's in Matthew 22, and Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. Jesus says that fulfilling the Old Testament law requires love. Love for God, love for others. Paul says it pretty directly in Romans 13, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is an impossibly high standard. How many of us can, can say that we have loved God and loved others at all times? I'm not sure I can keep this up for even one day, maybe not even a few hours. I can never meet this standard on my own. The good news is that I don't have to. Jesus says that he came to fulfill this standard for us. Jeremiah 33 in the Old Testament tells us, tells of God's love and what Jesus came to do. It's a long passage, but I'm paraphrasing some of the bolded parts there. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I will make a new covenant. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall all know They shall all know me from the least to the greatest, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The law that God planned to write on our hearts was the law of love. This love he would show us first and most perfectly on the cross in the greatest act of love in history. Each of us will be able to know God and stand before him without shame because we will be covered in the righteousness of Jesus. The holy God of the Old Testament was also at his core a God of love, and his plan all along was for himself to fulfill the law that we could not, to pay the price for our sins that we could not pay, and offer it to us in love. On the cross, God's perfect holiness and justice and his perfect love are perfectly displayed and fulfilled. After his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples and shows them his pierced hands and feet and his side. He says to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament because he is the hero Messiah prophesied by it and because he has fulfilled the law of love that humanity could not. So what does that mean for us? Jesus has fulfilled it. Is this a statement that affects how we live? Reflect on this and try making Jesus has fulfilled it the theme of your heart for this week and perhaps even your life. As I was preparing for this sermon, there was a day when I was anxious about a number of, going th- number of things going on at work. Uh, all kinds of craziness going on in, in the world and economy these days. Some of you who know me, I have a tendency to need to control and to succeed and not fail. And when those things get threatened, I get anxious. Why? Because that is where I am tempted to try to find my identity and self-worth apart from God. But as I sensed anxiety in my heart, I was reminded, reflecting on these passages, Jesus has fulfilled it. My worth does not come from what I achieve. It is not affected when I fail, but my identity and worth comes from who I am as a child of God and what Jesus has fulfilled for me. No matter how this work matter turns out, Jesus has fulfilled it, and I can claim that. So I can go and just do my best, leave the outcome to God. The result does not affect my worth or the core of my being. When Jesus was baptized, God said to him, This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. When we trust in Jesus, God says to you and me, no matter our performance in any aspect of life, because Jesus has fulfilled it. He received the failure, rejection, and disgrace that we deserved and gives to us the acceptance and blessing that he earned through his perfect life of love. You can apply this in pretty much every area of your life, anything that you get anxious about, how your children are going to turn out, whether you're going to get your next job, find the right person, Jesus has fulfilled it. Maybe you're fulfilling, struggling with a feeling of emptiness or feeling down about yourself for whatever reason. Jesus has fulfilled it. Come back to this again and again. No matter how empty I feel or how many times I fail, God accepts me because Jesus has fulfilled it. I will return to his loving kindness and let him pick me up again. I will draw my strength from what he has done and just focus on walking with him. Through the hero who became a suffering servant, we are conquerors and heirs of riches. We cannot fathom this side of heaven. Jesus has fulfilled it for me. In Jesus, God says to me, he says to you, this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. You have fulfilled the law of love to restore a relationship with you and heaven for us, and you invite us to rest in you and in your work. With the help of your spirit, please help us to grasp, meditate on, and take hold of what you have fulfilled for us 
and may it transform the way we live. Thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray.